Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God who has spoken and you have not played dumb. And Father, we do not want to take that for granted. And we want to thank you again this evening as we approach your word, that we can approach it with confidence, knowing that it is you who speaks to us. And you give us clarity and wisdom on how to live a life that pleases you in this world that you have created. Father, I pray for myself that as I teach your word, by your spirit, would you please help me to remember the things that you have taught me in the preparation that you want me to say and that is faithful to your word and help me to forget the things that are not helpful. And Father, I do pray for my brothers and sisters and friends this evening in gathered together here in Smack 2. Pray that your spirits will work in them. Give them wisdom as they hear from your word. Help them to discern what they are listening. Help them to trust and believe words that come from you, their God, their Creator and their Saviour. And pray, Father, that as a result, all of us, the church here in Smack 2 will be built up in maturity and that we will grow in knowledge of Christ and that our lives will reflect that of one who is being saved, one that is thankful to your great saving work in Christ. And we pray that as a result, you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who do you think will get to heaven? Who do you think won't get to heaven? Do you think I will get to heaven? Do you think you will get to heaven? Well, I suspect for some of you, this could be a boring question. A question that you don't think much about um, and you don't concern much. For you might always assume that you will get into heaven anyway. But how do you know? How do you know you will or you won't get to heaven? How do you know if you can get into heaven after all? Well, this evening, whether you are a non-Christian or a Christian, whether you are a visitor or a regular in SMAC, Mark is inviting you to think again. Do you think you will get to heaven? For in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is telling his disciples how to get to heaven, how to enter or not to enter the kingdom. And for his disciples, this was a very real and a very urgent question indeed. For back in Mark chapter 1, we already saw that Jesus, this man, appeared in Galilee. He made a public announcement to the world, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. The disciples have heard this big news. The kingdom of God is coming, a new government will be established, a new king will be in charge of the whole world very soon. The question then is, who can be in? And who will be out of this new kingdom? As the story progresses, the urgency of this question is intensified because the kingdom is getting nearer and nearer. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples discovered that the kingdom got even closer. It is at their doorstep. For Jesus said to them, I assure you, that there are some standing here who will not die 
until they see the kingdom of God come in power. And that's how near it is. And immediately right after that, the disciples were given a live demonstration of the new kingdom. On top of the mountain, they witnessed Jesus for who he really is. The glorious son of God standing in intense radiance with Elijah and with Moses. At the foot of the mountain, they witnessed Jesus defeating Satan and bringing the dead to life right before their very eyes. They realized that this kingdom that Jesus has been talking about is for real. It is coming. And then last week, we saw Jesus emphasizing in the strongest possible way the importance of entering this kingdom. Friends, you see, it is okay that you miss out on entering a prestigious school when you were young. And it is okay that you miss out entering a big firm when you started working. And it is okay that you miss out entering any form of inner circle that you are trying to break into even now. You may cry over it, you may lose sleep over it, but it is okay, isn't it? But to miss out entering the kingdom, Mark wants you to know that you can't take that lightly and you can't fool around with it. For we saw last week in verse 43, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if, you, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is a very serious matter. The disciples need to get into the coming kingdom. People everywhere need to get into the coming kingdom. You and I need to get into the coming kingdom. Or we will be thrown into hell. There must be no room for assumption. I always thought that I could get in. I thought so. No, entering the kingdom is crucial and it's important. But the question is, how? Who gets in and who won't get in? What are the criteria? How can one be in? Well, the entire chapter 10 tells us that. First of all, in verses 1 to 12, Jesus says the religious won't get in. And then verses 13 to 16, Jesus says, those who are childlike will get in. And then verses 17 to 30, Jesus says the morally upright won't get in. This evening, we will focus only on verses 1 to 12, where Jesus says the religious won't get into heaven. The religious won't get into heaven. So point two, the religious won't get into heaven. This episode that we see here involves a conflict between Jesus and the religious. Does such a conflict surprise you? A conflict between Jesus and the religious? Because if it does, for you're always taught that Jesus and the religious are like buddy buddies, then you have not been reading your Bible properly. And you have not met the real Jesus. For such conflict is nothing new. 
Jesus has always, always been in conflict with religion. In chapter 2, the religious leaders were unpleased with Jesus. They say, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your, your disciples don't fast. And look, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on Sabbath? It's Sabbath. How could they be picking their grains? That is why in chapter 3, Jesus was very angry and grieving at the hardness of heart of the religious. Jesus has always been in conflict with religion his whole life. And now in chapter 10, he, as he teaches his disciples, he confronts and he exposes the religious once again. So chapter 10, verse 1. Take a look at me. Verse 1. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, he, as was his custom, he taught them. You need to understand that Jesus is now in a region where it is dangerous to talk about divorce. Why? Because this is a place where King Herod ruled. In chapter 6, Herod beheaded John the Baptist, remember? Because John spoke against Herod for marrying his brother's wife. So, just one wrong word from Jesus now, and you know what's going to happen to Jesus' head. But as we shall see, that didn't stop Jesus from speaking the truth. For truth, and absolutely nothing but the truth, is what you and I can expect from the lips of this man. He never ever compromised even in the face of death. And that is especially important for us tonight, isn't it? Because as we ask the question, who will and who won't get into heaven, we don't want any politically correct answers. We don't want any people-pleasing or people-fearing answers. You don't want that. You want nothing but the truth, for it is an important issue. And friends, teaching the truth is what Jesus does best and what he always do. But the question is, are you willing to accept the truth? Verse 2. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They say, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. The issue that came up, is, that came up here is whether divorce is lawful. Jesus knew how well these super-religious Pharisees knew the Jewish laws. They knew it inside out. They were the religious elite of the Jewish society. They were the leaders of Israel. They were the religious gurus who kept and enforced all the religious rules. They dot every I and they cross every T. So Jesus here threw the question back at them, the leaders. What did Moses command concerning divorce? And surprise, surprise, they knew exactly where to go in the law, which line and which page. They quoted Deuteronomy 24 that was read to you. The Pharisees expected Jesus to forbid divorce, just as John the Baptist did. 
So now they would have felt victorious over Jesus. For they have successfully quoted a law and proved that Jesus was wrong. Seemingly, according to the law, the Torah, Pharisees were right to maintain a permissive divorce policy. So you can imagine these religious Pharisees patting each other on the back saying, hey guys, well done on keeping the law. Pharisees 1, Jesus 0. Friends of all people, the religious men, the leaders of Israel, they were the most confident to enter heaven. They were the most certain that they would enter the kingdom of God. For they were scrupulous. They were the most detailed in keeping the law. But now, let us listen to what Jesus has to say about them, such religious people. Verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. When in the house, and the disciple asked him again about this matter, he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. What does he mean? Let me try to explain. First, can I get you to flip with me to Deuteronomy 24, where the Pharisees are quoting the law. We'll read it together, and as you read, think about what is your response when you read that law. It can be found on page 199. Am I right? 119? 199. 199. 199. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the later man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the later man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sends her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring this sin upon the land that the Lord your God is, given, is giving you for inheritance. Now let me ask you, as you read that, what was your response when you read that? What was your take-home message when you read that part of the law? Let me suggest to you how the religious Pharisees would have responded. Hey guys, Guess what? We can. We can divorce. But we need to sharpen this law further, okay? For example, find no favor in his eyes. What does it mean, favor? What does that include? Found some indecency in her. How much is some? One time, two times? 
Indecency, again, can we define that further? What is considered indecent? Put the certificate of divorce of certificate in her hand. Does that mean that it must be face-to-face -face in her hand? Am I allowed to send it through my lawyer? Is that considered? And was Moses saying that we are allowed to marry at least or at most twice? What am I allowed to do? So guys, you need, we need some definitions here, okay? In fact, we need a full 15 volumes SOP for this. Friends, that, that would have been how the Pharisees would have responded. That would have been the response of a religious-minded person. One who is devoted to religious details and rules. One who relies on religion, relies on keeping the root on, on the law to enter the kingdom. And what is wrong with that? Well, the religious miss the whole point of the law. They miss the whole point of the law. Jesus reminds them that the law was written to sinners. It was written to sinners. Verse 5, Jesus says, It is because of the hardness of heart that Moses wrote them the commandment in the first place. It is because the hearts were hardened. You see, Deuteronomy 24 was written not to encourage divorce, but rather to limit the ill effects of divorce brought about by sinful people in a sinful world. God's gracious provision of divorce is a sign of the hardness of heart amongst which we human beings operate. The law was not written for the Pharisees to promote divorce as they were doing. It is well documented that divorce was relatively easy among the Jewish community in the first century. And the religious leaders and teachers back then intended to keep it that way. And they justified their action by quoting the law, as we have seen. But Jesus reminds them that the law was written to witness against them. Just as we read in Deuteronomy 34. Reminds them that the law was written to witness against them, to remind them of how hard-hearted they are. That is, how stubborn, how rebellious, how sinful human beings are. The very fact that such a law even existed in the first place should have reminded them that they are sinful people which need a law. Should have reminded them of how far they have fallen short of God's original intention. So yes, the religious Pharisees are scrupulous in keeping the law. They care about every single detail, but they miss the whole point. And they won't get into the kingdom because their heart is still not right with God. Their heart is still not right. Their heart is hardened. Their heart doesn't care about God, doesn't care about God's intent, doesn't care about God's desire. Scrupulous law-keeping, religion, doesn't solve the problem of the human heart and so won't get them into the kingdom. Religious are not inclined towards God. They don't love what God loves. They don't desire what God desires. But unlike the religious, Jesus cuts right through the discussion of details and points of legal declarations and points to the heart of the matter. That is, God's will and His purposes. God's will and His purposes. 
The point is not the interpretation of what is favor in his eyes or what is some indecency in her. The real question is, what did God intend? What did he desire in the very first place? Jesus' heartbeat echoes the heartbeat of God. He desires what God desires. What matters to Jesus is God's will and his purposes. And that is why he brought the Pharisees back to where God revealed his plans and purposes in the first place. In verse 6, Jesus says, Guys, don't you know that from the very beginning of creation, God made? And then he went through Genesis 1 and 2 of them. Jesus cared for what God intended and what he desired. Friends, the teaching of Jesus has, been, has always been very clear and very consistent throughout the whole gospel. The teaching is that no amount of religion can get you into heaven. No amount of religion can get you into heaven. No amount of church services that you attend or Lord's Supper that you take or Bible study that you go to no amount of sermons that you listen to, whether it is good or bad, challenging or not challenging, no amount of quiet time or prayers or confessions or any forms of human efforts can get you into heaven. For religion is simply useless in fixing our human heart problem. We can master the motion elegantly, smoothly, we run through them week after week, day after day. But at the end of the day, the question is, where is your heart? Do you actually love God? Do you care what God cares? Do you care about what He desires, what He wills? Do you care about His plans and His purposes for mankind? For if your heart is still hardened against God, your heart is still care less about what God cares, about what He wills, then you are just like the Pharisees. Pharisees were scrupulous in keeping the law. But Jesus diagnosed their hearts hardened. Their hearts did not care what God cared. They cared not about His intent or His desire at all. Friends, the only way and the only chance any one of us can enter heaven is a radical heart surgery. A radical heart surgery where our hardened heart is fixed. Not by Bob the Builder. Our hardened heart is fixed so that we actually love God and desire His plans and purposes. And as we have seen today, religion simply can't do that. But the question is, if religion can't do that, what can? What can change this hardened heart of human race? For if it is not changed, we have no place in the kingdom. It is logical, isn't it? You enter a kingdom but belongs to God. But you enter as one who doesn't love what God loves, and you, didn't, you don't desire what God desires. How can such people enter the kingdom where God rules? So the question is, if religion can't, what can? The passage today actually doesn't answer that question for us explicitly. 
All that the passage says is that religion doesn't fix our heart problem. The Pharisees were very good with the religion, and yet Jesus says they are hard-hearted, hardened hearts. However, in today's passage, we do get a hint. For we encounter a man who does love God, a man who points sinners back to God's intention in creation, a man who desires things to be restored back to how God intended from the very beginning. He's the man that Mark wants you and I to know. He's a man that we cannot ignore. There's Jesus Christ. And if you have been reading Mark, you will know that Jesus is your only hope to enter the kingdom. In the face of your hardened heart, in the face of your own sins, Jesus is the only one who can solve that problem for you. In the recent chapters that we have just read earlier, of in the past weeks, you will know that somehow it involves this man, Jesus Christ, suffering many things, rejected and be killed. Mark hasn't told us at this point of the story how this man is going to deal with the problem of our sin. But he has already very clearly shown us that Jesus is a man that we cannot, extort, cannot ignore and Jesus is a man who has ability and the power to solve the heart problems of the whole human race. And he's going to do that somehow that involves him suffering, being rejected and being killed. And Mark wants to convince us that he is our only lifeline. Later in Mark, I think two weeks later, in chapter 10, we will come to a point whereby the disciples become very, very desperate. Very desperate about the problem of their hearts. So desperate that in chapter 10, verse 26, they say, The disciples, 26, and they were exceedingly astonished. And the disciples said to him, Then who can be saved? Who can be saved? The disciples were at lost. Who can be saved? If even the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, can't be saved. Jesus looked at them and said, verse 27, With man, it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Friends, nothing that you and I can do to change the hardened condition of our hearts. I can't do anything to change the hardened condition of your heart or my heart. Only God can. So, stop trying. Stop trying and start asking God to do what is humanly impossible. Religion can't get into you into the kingdom, but God can. At this point, some of you might say, I knew this all along. Thank you, Pastor Kenneth. I've been telling everyone that I don't need to go to church, you don't need to do Bible study. All these are just superficial, showy things. It is all about the heart. Well, friends, if that's you, Jesus' question goes to you as well. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is your heart hardened? Do you love what God loves? God loves His church. He died for His church. Do you love His church? 
God loves Ching Chong. Christ died for Ching Chong. Do you love Ching Chong enough to meet him on Sunday and Bible study to encourage him? Do you desire to know what God desires? If yes, why aren't you reading your Bible? Why aren't you praying to Him? Friends, let's face it. Whether you're a regular churchgoer or you don't come to church, admit it tonight, along with me, that without God, we are all pathetic religious beings who rely on everything but God for salvation. The gospel, the good news is, God loves us and He provided salvation for us. So admit it. Admit that we cannot earn our way into heaven. And trust in God to do what is humanly impossible. For He has done that in Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that gives us clarity on, on ourselves. We thank you for the spirit that helps us to diagnose where we are at, in what we are relying on and what we are depending on to be right with you. Father, we pray for each one of us here in Smektu that your spirit will help us to repent of the subtle ways in which we are relying on what we do to be accepted by you. By your Spirit, help us to repent of those ways and wholly rely on you and you alone who has provided us salvation in our Lord Jesus so that we can have nothing to boast but in the cross, in the cross alone in your grace and your mercy alone that have saved us. And we thank you for the comfort that that gospel brings to us. Father, it is so easy and in fact it's easier for us to comfort ourselves, to tell ourselves that we have done this and we have done that and that makes us a good Christian, acceptable before you. But help us, Father, not to do that. Help us to see that you are the only way and help us to embrace your grace and your mercy once again. And we ask that you may help each one of us to point each other to the foot of the cross where we find this grace and mercy once again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.